What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello, hello, welcome, welcome. It is the Face Off Fan Reaction Podcast. I'm your host, Kay. We are broadcasting after the goal is draw with Stoke at Anfield. As always, I've got my co-host, or I say as always, as recently has it, I've got my co-host with me, um, Tadiwa Chanakira. How are you, Tadiwa? Yeah, I'm doing good in UK. Ah, not bad, not bad, not bad. Would have been, it would have been nice to get a result yesterday, but uh, I'm actually not that, uh, not that perturbed by it, to be, to be perfectly honest. Which I'm going to ask you about a little bit later. That that might be a problem in itself. But let me welcome uh, on the fan, on the opposition fan um, <coughs> side uh, a warm welcome back to the pod from uh, Adam, our resident Stoke fan. How are you, Adam? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Ah, all good, all good, like I say. <laughs> Can't complain too much about what's going on. I will start with you, Adam. What's your reaction to that result? Uh, it, it, it's, it's a complex set of emotions from what I've read, uh, going through sort of Stoke fan reactions on Twitter, on the internet and that kind of thing. It, it seems to be caught up between, um, you know, it would have been, it would have been sort of nice if we had done something, but it's a good result versus, you know, we really needed them points and it looked like a good opportunity to get them versus, Liverpool in, in that particular guise. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm delighted with the point. Uh, obviously in our, in our situation at the moment, three points in every game is, is nearly, um, you know, they're all kind of must win games really. But I think given our record, um, you know, we haven't won at Anfield for 54 years or 54 games or something like that. You know, we've got the worst away record in the country. Liverpool are unbeaten at home. <laughs> you know, the, the odds were pretty much stacked against us, um, actually going to Anfield and winning the game. So to come away with a point, um, it still keeps us in the mix. Mm. We've still got an outside chance. We didn't lose the game. Um, so overall, I, you know, I, I think we've, we've got to be delighted. It will, it will set us up nicely for the next home game. You know, the, the fans will be in buoyant mood again and mm. the players will come away with, um, with some much needed confidence. So all in all, I, I don't think anyone can have any complaints with, you know, keeping a clean sheet and coming away with, with a draw at Anfield. Mm, and the performance as well, which we'll definitely get into in a little while. But first, today, were your reactions to the, to the result? Yeah, I think it was sort of similar to last week's game where the players have um, sort of their heads turned looking towards the Roma game. And it's something I mentioned last week in, in my frustration at that draw, in that having drawn, like, I thought we needed to win either of the West Brom or the Stoke game. Um, I thought the players needed to pick one. And having drawn the West Brom game, this was my concern going in, is that it's easier to win the West Brom game in terms of mentality-wise, where you haven't actually started the Champions League games yet. 
whereas now, regardless of what the score was, even if it was, if we had been able to keep it 5-0, I still think some of the players would have still had their heads sort of turned, um, having seen what Roma did with Barcelona. So, mm, it's a bit frustrating. I'm, I'm glad this podcast happens a day later or so <laughs> after the game because <laughs> if it was yesterday, you, you probably would have been speaking to a completely different person. All right, let me let me stay with you today. Well, your reaction to the Liverpool lineup is there? Were you happy with it? Was there anything else Klopp could have done? Yeah, I think the the biggest surprise was not necessarily who was in the team because I I think the team sort of picked itself. It was more the interesting thing was more the formation we chose to play. Um, when you're looking at the the team on paper, I mean, Carrius and goal. I think he's he's now a constant. He's going to stay in goal for the rest of the season. As, as has been going throughout uh, since January. Um, then you sort of had uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, you had Gomez in there, Clavan, Van Dyke, and Moreno. Now, looking at those five defenders in there, you're, you're thinking we're probably going to match Stoke City and having three at the back and having Moreno and Alexander-Arnold sort of as the as the wingbacks. But um, he chose to play... TAA sort of in a midfield three. And so he kept the, the 4-3-3 formation. And it's, I know TAA played in, in midfield for the sort of the, the youth teams. But, um, as far as I remember and, and the games that I did watch, he was sort of the number six in the team. So he was the holding player, not necessarily going as far forward as he did in this game. Whereas in this game, it was Henderson that was sitting. And then Henderson and Wijnaldum, um, it was always going to be two out of the, the only three fit senior cent, uh, central midfielders we have. So it was either going to be between Henderson, Wijnaldum and Molnar. One of them was going to be rested. Um, resting Molnar, I think, yeah, that's fair enough, especially considering the form he's had in the Champions League. So you, you want to keep him sort of rested. And I suppose he has the, the older legs, so to speak. Um, the front three, Mane picked up a knock midweek, so we weren't expecting him to play. And as, as Klopp had mentioned, he should be fine for, for Wednesday, but we, we, we definitely weren't going to be risking him in this game. Um, Ings coming in, it was another chance for him to again try and prove that he, he's able to be sort of that backup to the front three. Um, we will obviously go on to, to the game later on, but in terms of the, the lineup, um, I wasn't too surprised having Salah and Firmino starting. Um, I think you could, and you could see from the frustration after the game, I think Klopp did want to sort of seal top four in this game and then just focus, um, on Champions League going forward. Um, hoping that he had, uh, he would be getting to the final as well. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming with Salah, Salah definitely wants to be playing every Premier League game because you can see he wants to get that record. Um, so yeah, the, the, the team itself, um, it sort of picked itself a few, a few eyebrows raised, I suppose, in Oxley Chamberlain playing, um, considering he's likely to be the, the, the fullback that starts on, on Wednesday. But I, I think he's, he's young enough to, to have the legs to go through both games. So yeah, I, I was okay with the team sheet. All right. That, Adam, for you, how did you react to your lineup? I don't know if it's so much the, the lineup as, as what eventually comes out of that lineup. Um, that was, that was a little bit different to maybe what's happened, uh, over the course of the rest, the rest of the season. Yeah, there wasn't, um, I mean, I was, I was on the pod on, uh, Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, and there it was pretty much as, as we predicted. There, there wasn't really too much Stoke 
could have done really. Um, the only the only thing that maybe could have changed was um, was Bauer might have played right back and we might have played Sobey um, on the left hand side um, because we knew Johnson wasn't wasn't going to be fit. So there wasn't really anything um, out of the ordinary from a from a Stoke perspective. It was as as expected and it was. Um, Pretty much the same lineup as as we had at home to to Burnley last week. So so yeah, it was it was it was as expected really. And then let's move on to the to the overall you know your overall impressions of your team in the game, Adam. Because at this point, I usually ask about the approach of the team and how you guys have gone about how you set up and and if you're happy with that. But it, it was just fantastic. I thought. I mean, very. Very calm defensively, very good defensively, I thought, and just you know keeping Liverpool, if you can call, if you can say honest, I, I hope it's uh, it's not demeaning, but like I thought you gave at least as well as you got in that game. I, I didn't think Liverpool had the ascendancy very well. I didn't think Liverpool felt came away feeling that they should have won the game and were unlucky. I thought they felt that they were in a bit of a fight. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's one thing Paul Lambert's brought brought to Stoke. I think. If Hughes had still been the manager, we would have quite easily rolled over, and and it could have, it could have been three or four. But um, you know, I think everyone is uh, is together. They're all playing for for one another. Defensively, we look a lot better. Um, you know, Martin's Indian Shawcross are, are a great uh, central uh, defensive partnership. Um, Zuma had had a great game. You know. Um, out of position really for for most of it at right back, and Eric Peters, apart from the one lapse in the first half where Salah got got through, I thought Eric Peters was outstanding. It was by far, probably in four years, his best performance in a Stoke shirt defensively. He was he was superb, and we've got Allen and and Ndai in the middle who who will just run and run and run. So defensively and organisation wise, I think it was as good. As, as it was going to be. I think over the 90 minutes, it, it's probably surpassed our expectations. Um, we just miss the, the killer instinct going forward. There's, there's a real lack of, you know, Shakiri aside. Bauer tries hard, but, you know, in front of Shakiri, there's a real lack of, of quality. And, and, you know, on another day with, um, with, with some better options up front, we might have even nicked it. Mm. Um, cause we had some decent, you know, we had some decent chances to to nick uh, to, to nick the three points. So, you know, so you, you you could come away and say, well, you know, we we might have done even better. But I think overall, you've you've got to be happy to come away with a clean sheet. And you know, and 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 the way that they all they all played for one another was 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 good to see. I totally agree. I I think that performance was extremely encouraging and. Lambert keeps his record of never losing <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah, brilliant. So that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Did you for you? Like I don't know. You know, you were saying I. I, I don't know if. I don't know what's going on in the Liverpool squad, but I'm. I'm not sort of as sure that Liverpool have sort of internally identified these games as go all out to win top four. At the ex, you know, maybe it's at the expense they're looking at it, of Champions League and what's going on there and that kind of stuff because. While we played pretty well, it just seemed to be a constant st- stuck in third gear. I thought in, you know, for the second half especially, nothing sort of happened until the last 10 minutes when Liverpool tried to push it on and even then sort of went into fourth gear. And I know some of that is quality in the squad and our replacements may be not as good as the people you want in those positions. 
But I mean, how would you react to that? And you know, your your feelings on the approach of Liverpool for this game? Um, I think I think first and foremost we have to, I suppose, put it in context in the sense that Stoke are a club that are fighting for. Um, for their lives, sort of trying to stay in the, in the Premier League. So their players are coming in with a, a, some would argue a stronger mentality than our players would be considering, um, it's, it's, it's possible that our players are more focused on, on Wednesday than, than the game that was, that happened yesterday. And I think that's to, in, in a, in a sense, I think that's quite disrespectful to, to assume that you're going to coast your way through any Premier League game, d- despite who you're playing, in any team in the Premier League can beat anyone um, on any given day. So, and I think Stoke were credited to themselves. I, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, and it, and this seems to be the norm on on days where teams frustrate Liverpool, where there's where I, I saw people on Twitter saying, "Oh no, um, but Stoke are, are trying to survive." So why they're coming here and sort of like, you know, put, um, parking the bus, they should be more adventurous, more attacking. And in my opinion, I, I don't think any team, like it, no team is coming to Anfield and wanting to attack us. That, that in itself, you've already given the game away, in my opinion. And I think as long as Stoke knew that it was no, no, I think they still had a chance. Whereas if they came out sort of trying to say, well, we, we need to win this, so let's go all out attack, that, that's a recipe for disaster. If, if I'm Lambert and credit to Lambert for this, I'm saying to the players, look, this is a Liverpool team that are, are pretty scared of getting injured for, for midweek. They, they're not really going to be paying attention too much to this game. Let's go in there, be really, really physical. Um, cause if you, if you, if you're very physical in this game, I don't think the Liverpool players are going to match you, bearing in mind what's to come. So let's go there, be physical. Let's make sure we don't concede. And and you saw they they had quite a few chances, sort of here and there. Any one of those chances go in, and it's considered you know a tactical masterclass. But all of a sudden now, you know, they, no Liverpool doesn't have a right to demand um, other teams to come and play. They they're going to do whatever they need to do especially considering they're fighting to stay, stay in the Premier League, they're going to do what they feel is definitely going to make them uh, get as many points as they can. And I thought, it, it, in terms of the Liverpool players, look, if that Salah chance goes, um, he scores that chance uh, earlier in the game, sort of five minutes into the game, it's a completely different game. And we, we, did have, we didn't have a lot of chances. I don't think Butland got tested quite a bit. Um, or as much as you'd like for an away keeper. So I think, I don't see how we can complain necessarily. Our mentality wasn't the mentality you expect of a team that's, you know, so certain of winning this game. Obviously the players wanted to win it. I'm not saying the players mm-hmm. didn't want to win it, but there was a caution in their play and you could see that. And when you come into a Premier League game with such a caution, the chances of you winning are, are very slim, unless obviously there's a moment of brilliance or something like that, which we didn't have. Uh, in terms of Stoke, I, I thought, yeah, as I said, I thought they were a credit to, to themselves, to the manager. I thought they kept themselves in the game, which is the critical thing, you know, especially coming to Anfield. You're coming to a ground where you know, no one's won this season in the Premier League. You're coming to a ground... Um, away from home where their form necessarily hasn't been so great. So to put in such a dogged effort, credit to them. And it, and I suppose from their perspective, it's just unfortunate they don't have that one player 
that can sort of finish off, um, you know, all the hard work that they've put in. Maybe, unfortunately, uh, you would you would have hoped maybe Berahino would have been that player, you know, coming in, young player. Um, on paper, he's got everything you'd you'd want from a striker, so to speak. But I'd, I'd um. I can't speak for what's going on in the background or with regards to his attitude or anything like that. But if, if he's, if he's able to fulfill his potential, he could be easily scoring between 10 and 15 goals for Stoke. And that makes a huge difference. And then let's not also forget they, they unfortunately don't have, you know, the likes of Afalai, who I believe, um, has been sort of banished from the club, so to speak. I think Adam can speak more to that. And then as well as Hesse, I mean, how crucial would a player like Hesse have been for them um, in this game, sort of just finishing off some of the things that they, they the, the chances that they created? Yeah, Adam, do you want to react to, uh, you know, those issues they um, outlined by today? Yeah, <clears throat> that was, it was, that was good, good summing up all round of the game, I, I, I thought. Um, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I've, I've seen some some comments on social media from Liverpool fans who, who you know were quite demeaning really um, around our our overall performance and like I say I, I think we had some really good chances uh, in that game and and I thought Lambert's tactics were absolutely spot on you know um, you know the one time we we did you know there was, there's no point us coming uh, rocking up at Anfield and um, and you know and and trying to outplay Liverpool and and, and go all out for the win because you know we'd have just been picked off and. Um, and round, you know, soundly beaten. And, and as I say, the one opportunity where Liverpool did, you know, did get behind was, you know, um, Alan lost possession in the, in the midfield and kind of Peters was anticipating a ball out wide and Alan, Alan couldn't get it. Peters out of position straight away and Salah's through on goal. And, you know, that's from the halfway line. That's how easy it, it, it could happen. So, you know, barring that attack, I, I, you know, I felt reasonably comfortable throughout. Mm. Throughout the game, um, you know, you, you just you just never know with some of the players Liverpool have got. But I think overall, it was um, it was for a game at Anfield where you know they're scoring for fun. I thought we were relatively comfortable, and apart from the Alexander Arnold kind of chance where he couldn't really get it out of his feet, Butland really didn't have a save to make. So um, I thought Lambert's tactics were spot on. Could have nicked it at the end, reduced chance, sure crosses chance, um, which was agonising. I was, I have to say, I was up off the sofa at that point, thinking this is it. Um, so I was devastated when it, it reached the wrong side of the net. Um, but yeah, just going back to some of the comments about the players. Yeah, it's you know, it, I, I think it's it's unfortunate the hand that Lambert's been dealt with because I think it's clearly shown that Hughes, during his time, kind of let the players um, get. You know, get off with with quite a lot of of ill discipline. I think while while he was here, and um, Afalai, you know, and like you say, has has been banished from from the dressing room. He's been banished from from the from the club totally. Um, you know, I, I believe he had he had a falling out. He's questioned Lambert's tactics. I think, um, and you know, Lambert's trying to put in some some discipline. Hesse, I just don't really think has been up for the fight. We haven't really seen a lot of Hesse. Um, he burst onto the scene against Arsenal, scored the winner, um, and then pretty much, um, you know, he's had personal problems um, off the field with his young son, which is understandable. Um, so he's he's been to and froing from Spain quite a lot, been given time off, but then has just gone AWOL, just never returned now. Um, so and they've tried to tear up his contract so they don't pay him anymore. 
Berahino, you know, I totally agree, and I said exactly the same thing on earlier on in the week that he. It, it's an absolute travesty what what he's done with himself and his career because he could have been the answer for Stoke this season. He's got absolutely no competition up front for his place. It was his for the taking, and he's let him. He's totally let himself down. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure what's what's wrong psychologically with with him. He's he's obviously got some issues that that he needs to sort out. Whether Lambert is going to give him the opportunity over the summer to to sort his head out. Whether Berahino wants that opportunity, I can't imagine many Premier League clubs now wanting to take a risk on him. Um, I think the best thing he can do is knuckle down um, and give it a right good go in the Championship with us, if if that's where we if that's where we end up. Um, so yeah, so you know, Lambert's done. I think you know there are a few games where I, th- I think he could have he could have done better, but I think overall he's probably done as well as as what he could have done given given the circumstances that. Uh, that were presented to him when he when he arrived at the club at the end of January. Let, let me talk to you a little bit more about that, Adam. You know, at least, you know, what I thought was I wasn't a big Stoke fan when Tony Pulis was at the club, but there was definitely an identity. You knew exactly what was expected and what the play was based around. You know, I, I, it wasn't just the sort of defensive play. It was also a kind of uh, like a sort of team morale and an ethic, more work ethic around there. I remember one game at. Um, against Liverpool, he asked one of his players to stand right in front of the guy taking the throw. And <laughs> he was screaming at him, like, take it in the face, take it in the face. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> and, but that, like, epitomized something. And, okay, it, it, you know, Pulis sort of has a, a shelf life and, and had to go. But, like, between then and now, th- there's been a sort of, um, sort of flip-flopping a little bit of identity. Uh, Hughes had it for a little while where it was a more progressive play, sort of, and, you know, you got the influx of different players, uh, Shakiri and Bojan and stuff like that for a little while. Do you think now with Paul Lambert there, um, whether you guys stay in the Premier League or not, I mean, it gives you a lot of confidence maybe that he is, he is at least putting down once again a very firm identity that is based on something historic and based on the players that are at the squad. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, th- I think it's it's a fine line, isn't it? I think you know Stoke, you know Stoke on Trent. It's you know it's it's a very passionate place to live. It's a working class area. You know Tony Pulis did really well. He he, he bought into all of that, mm-hmm. and the Stoke fans know that if they see a player trying his best, getting stuck in, um, then you know you're you, you've won the crowd over. It's it's that kind of mentality. It was. You know, back in the days where it was ev- everyone's against Stoke, you know, the siege mentality kind of thing. And Pulis was great at, at, at getting everyone to buy into that. Um, but you're right, you know, is he did have a shelf life. And, and I think, I think what happened at the end of, of his tenure without kind of going too far back in, in history was that I think Stoke fans could actually see that, yeah, the first couple of years we were, we did well to kind of stay in the Premier League. But I think, Gradually, we we started to to think that actually we deserve to be in the Premier League, and 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 we could actually make that step step up without having to play the type of football that Pulis was was playing. You know, we were finishing thirteenth, fourteenth, but we had the potential to to go higher, and I think that's why um, that's why he he had to go. Um, Hughes came in. And, you know, Hughes and Mark Bowen both said at the time they were very fortunate with the dressing room they inherited at Stoke. We had a very good, strong core 
nucleus of the team, you know, the Shawcrosses, the Whelans, the Walters, you know, the spine of the team was great. And, you know, a lot of those players stayed together. And what Hughes did cleverly was he identified areas of the pit where we just needed a little bit more of creative flair and he bought on out of it. And, um, and just a couple of subtle additions to that squad got us into that ninth place. Now, Pulis could have done that if he wanted to because he would have kept, you know, the, the, the squad together. Now, as Hughes progressively, as those players kind of started to dwindle, their, their shelf life started coming to an end. Mm. And Hughes tried to change the mentality of the squad and he brought in the likes of Boyan, the Athelais, the Shakiris. And maybe now in hindsight, although it was great at a time, and we, we witnessed some of the, of the best football I've ever seen at Stoke. You know, I, I said last week, you know, the, the 6-1 against Liverpool, we've beaten Man United, Man City, we've beaten Arsenal. You know, we've, we've played some really good stuff with Shakiri, Bojan and Arnautovic. But you just wonder whether Hughes tried to change it too quickly. Mm. Um, and he didn't replace, he didn't maintain the kind of hard-working element of of the club and as soon as he's he started to identify his own players and put his own stamp on things i think that's where we started to go wrong and we haven't got the you know the strong core nucleus of that team and hopefully now lambert is going to bring is starting to bring that back a little bit yeah no exactly and what we're getting into here is a bit more you know, issues about squad quality and that kind of thing. Just before we do that, Tadiwa, I'm just going to bring it back to the game with you. Do you think that maybe, you know, what would sum up the game for you? A sort of a, a lack of clinical finishing on, on Liverpool's part? Or, you know, do you think you look at that more in terms of having a really good defensive approach to the game? We might have lost that game last season. Yeah, that's a very good point. Last season, Stoke definitely sneaked sneak something towards the end there. It, it, it sort of actually had that airy feeling of, ooh, Stoke could actually, they, if they get a bit more ambitious, they could actually take something from this. And, and not, not a disrespectful say of saying ambitious. I just mean in the sense of, if, I felt the, the front line for Stoke, they could have given just a little bit more and then maybe perhaps that's to do necessarily with the, with the personnel that was up there. Um, I think, from a Liverpool perspective, it's it's more frustrating game than anything. It's it's something you are hoping that the players will be able to get over the line. In terms of, I think it does play a factor. With, obviously, with regards to squad depth, I think that play that plays plays a role there. You you have players that started that game, and if you look at the team, sort of. How many of those players are going to be starting midweek? Um, one, two, mm. three, four, five, six, seven. So seven of the eleven players are going to be starting midweek. That's that's asking a lot of then Ings, Moreno, Clavin to try and pick up and Gomez if you add them in there to try and pick up the slack of those those players that are sort of not willing to go full tilt. I think. If we were able to have maybe, you know, and I, I, I don't know why Woodburn didn't even see the pitch. I think he, I don't think he's, he's played more than 60 minutes this season for us. Um, but if, if perhaps if we had players in there that a bit more of the players that knew, I, I just have to give full throttle for these 90 minutes. And, you know, I, I know the likelihood of me starting on, on Wednesday, it's it's not very high, 
but at least I can I can give my full my full to this game. You know, this can be their sort of semi final second mm. leg. Mm. And I, I would I would have thought some of those players would would have helped, but I suppose you know that we don't know the the ins and outs of training. We we don't know everything. No, no, that but happens. but I think this is very important. I think we need to talk about this as you know this is a big issue now today with Liverpool and squad quality. And I want to ask you a couple of things around there. What do you think of the Liverpool squad? And let's start with the, with the issue of quality there because. You know, you're saying somebody comes in and does a bit of business. Now, look, I know that we've got a couple of injuries and stuff like that, and that's made the matter sort of a lot more difficult to discuss. But, you know, it it just seems like there are, there are a couple of issues. But just let's start with the issue of quality. Do you think that the Liverpool squad, quality-wise, is enough to be able to compete on especially those two fronts of the league and the Champions League? Um even just leave out the cups for now, you know, because I, I think what what we're looking at now is essentially just being good in those two tournaments at once. We're sort of intimating that maybe, you know, we've been we've been in the top four for a bit. We could maybe mount a decent title challenge, if not, you know, go all the way, but like quite decent. Like basically, what I'm saying is finish safely top four next season, finish you know second or third quite safely. Do you think Liverpool have the squad to be able to do that, be able to get to like the quarter semi-finals of the Champions League as it stands now? Um, I think if you look at the physicality of the English Premier League, especially considering we play that extra, you know, the, the I think it's the Carabao Cup now, um, we play an extra tournament on top of, you know, the three quintessential treble winning trophies that you that you would consider in the FA Cup, the Premier League and then the Champions League. So in the other leagues they they are vying for three they're vying for a treble. Whereas in the Premier League you're sort of vying for all four, um, so to speak. So it's very difficult to to try and win all four. And if we look at it for example, look at City Squad, they're arguably the most complete squad in terms of squad depth that we have in in the Premier League and they couldn't do it on all four fronts. It's such a physical game, especially mm-hmm. English football. So e- even games in the Without Carabao Cup... Without a winter Cup, break, yeah, and stuff like exactly, that. Exactly. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, So in, in the Carabao Cup even, you know, you there you're sort of looking to play maybe your second team, a few first-team players in there. But even those games are quite physical. You know, everyone wants to win the trophy. So I, I don't think it's possible or you know, reasonable to expect a team to be challenging for all four. I've always seen it in the sense of pick two trophies that you're going for and then, you know, target those trophies and go all, all out for those two. I think that's an achievable goal to try and look at two. With Liverpool, what we have now, I think our squad is only capable of going for one trophy because the moment we start putting in any of, any of the, you know, quote unquote squad players or we start adding play, you know, rotating the squad. That's when I think we tend to suffer. So either if, you know, it's possible to do it if you're saying going for top four and a trophy. Yes. I think, I think we've got a squad that's capable of doing that and they're trying to achieve that now, you know, so it, it's evident that, that they're able to do something like that. But saying that, uh, the squad can, go for, let's say, a, a title challenge and then try and maybe win an FA Cup or something, I don't think that's possible purely because it might not necessarily be a fact of the numbers in terms of um, the number of bodies and that, yes, we would, let's say, for example, if everyone was fit, which is always the argument, if everyone was fit, 
then we'll do this. But you you can't mm-hmm. live in that utopia, you know, in the Premier League. Not you everyone's going to, to be managed. Exactly. Every, yeah. Exactly. And if you look at the players that we've bought over the years, you know, if for example, look at the players that are injured now for Liverpool. Okay, Oxley Chamberlain, he had an injury record coming in. Now his injury that that happened on Tuesday was very unfortunate. It was him going into a tackle. But in your calculations, you I think it's fair to say you would have calculated that he was going to be injured at some point during the season. Okay, so there we we can sort of write him off in the sense of he there was going to be an injury there at some point in time. Okay, so you should have calculated for that. Then you look at Lalana. Lalana's been more injured than Sturridge over the past four seasons. So you knew Lalana was getting at least two injuries mm. um, coming into the season. So there, that's another one. You write him off. Then you look at Emre Chan. Emre Chan does struggle with uh, niggles every now and then. Um, I know there are a few seasons where he's he's played through injuries. I, I know, I think it was about two or three seasons ago where he played about eight months with an injury just because we didn't have the bodies. So he he's usually quite stalwart. But you have to take into considerant consideration Emre Chan has played whether it's under 21s under 23s or German international you know full full yeah, international just non stop right yeah yes every single um end of the season he's had an international tournament i think it's gone since the last world cup so that's about 4 years he he hasn't had a preseason so that's going to add up at some point in time so that that's a risk you have to take into account then um, who would be the the well we, the other, we I mean, um, beyond beyond that I mean the front three we just don't really have any replacement for them and I mean ooh, I, I don't want to be like unfair to Dom Solanke who is young mm-hmm. I don't want to be unfair to Danny Ings who's been who's been out for a long time it, it just you know I, I think we can put a pin in Dom Solanke and say we'll have to wait and see how he develops but any mm-hmm. it, it just seems at the moment any time any of our front three drop away or get injured for any amount of time, or we just rest them, the system sort of suffers a little bit. You know, the entire so the entire way we build our play, if Mane is not there, a lot of our creativity goes. You know, if Salah is yes. not there, where's the goals going to come from? If Firmino is not there, we lose a lot of our defense. We lose a lot of the ability to knit play together, especially up front. All those things are absolutely key to our system. You know, that as well is, is a bit of an issue for me, like a lot. <laughs> But as, as the theme has been with when we're talking about this rotation, it's a calculated risk. You know, selling Coutinho in January, you know, whether he, he wanted to stay or wanted to go, it's a calculated risk in the end. And then once you've sold him, okay, fair enough, you know, there, there were things that went on. You've Now you've come to the point where you've decided actually he has to leave. He's going. Okay, fair enough, he's going. He's gone now. Now you've got that money sitting in the bank. Now is the time where it's a calculated risk for Klopp and the transfer committee and, you know, everyone that's involved in that to say, do I have enough to see through my goals for the season? And then you, look, you would have assumed that the goal for this season, well, my goal for the season was let's just get top four again because we haven't had back to back top fours in uh, more than 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So going for trophies and stuff like that, I thought it was going to make, it was going to stretch our squad, squad too much. So I was just happy. Let's consolidate top four. Now players, you know, coming in or players you're trying to attract know, okay, they're an established top four side. So I think he looked at it and I'm assuming he looked at it in the similar way that I've got enough for top four. 
you know, and mm. hopefully in, he sees in that, that in that though, I'll ask yeah. you this final question there for for, for Jurgen Klopp. I mean, you, I like what you're saying about the uh, he sort of he's looked at the risk. It's a calculated um, decision about what's going to happen, and and he's decided to take that risk on. Do you think that with him, the way Klopp uses his squad? I mean, I look at Moreno being fit for quite a long time now. But Klopp hasn't really used him, you, you know, in, in, to just keep him in and about the squad. I mean, 100% Robertson has made that position his own, no problem. But what Klopp seems to do is get a guy going in that position and then keep on playing him. Get, you know, get, get those um, relationships going, get those patterns going. That's more important than sort of to him than using the squad. Maybe, you know, Moreno will come in every four or five games or whatever like that, just to just to be there and still involved, still used to the, the pattern of play, still used to the intensity. As it is now, sort of Moreno comes in, and I, I mean, I thought he did all right yesterday, you know, for his second game back. But that first game back against against Albion, you know, it, it he didn't do anything directly maybe, but it, it might have added to the uncertainty about the squad. Do you think in that, how Klopp uses the squad, or it might be fairer to say not use the squad, do you think that's an issue? And, and that's why sort of Jurgen Klopp and the club sort of went, we don't need to do that now. We're not going to use this person that much this season anyway. Yeah, I think what we've seen with Klopp, especially in his tenure at Liverpool, is... And and let me preface this by saying, I'm not saying that he doesn't necessarily rate the quality of specific players. But I'm saying that Klopp isn't going to play someone unless he trusts them to do a specific job at a specific time. So if you look, if we go back to last season, how many times did people cry out for sort of some of the younger players to be given a go? And Klopp, and Klopp even mentioned that there were times where he looked at his bench and there was just no one that he could bring on. And he's not saying it in the sense of, you know, the guys on the bench are, are crap or something. He's sort of just saying that um, it's unfair necessarily to to put them in this situation, you know, putting, let's say, for example, yesterday, like I, I wanted Woodburn to play. Klopp mm. might see it as a, I don't want to put this young player under the limelight um, in such in such a game like this, you know, or, or it could be a bunch of other factors. And that's my issue that comes into play with regards to how critical um, or, or how, how sort of how shrewd or I'm looking for a better word there or, um, we have to be more stern with some of the, the squad players in our team. You know, if you look at, for example, Danny Ings, it's a great story. He's come back from injury, you know, a, a couple of injuries. You know, it, 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 it's a multi-heart story for him to then score that goal. But we have to be, and going into the whole theme of it, of if you want to be challenging for a title. More ruthless, yeah. Yes, exactly. More ruthless, that's the word. Yes. You have to be more ruthless. Yes, it's a nice story to have Danny Ings in your squad. Yes, it's a nice story to have the Lalanas in, in your squad. But to what extent are they helping the team? If you're saying you're going to be challenging for a title, then we have to be more ruthless. If you're telling me next season we're going for top four again and hopefully looking for a cup, I'm okay with um, having the likes of, you know, Danny Ings and stuff being the rotation players. But if you're going to be telling me we're going for a league title, then you need sort of about more than, you know, you need more than 14 players that you're relying on, or in our case, more than 11 players that you're relying on to, to see you throughout a league season. In a cup, it's easy for our team to go through a cup run because then you're playing your strongest 11, then we're going to fly through, you know, then, then we're going to play good, exciting football. 
But mm. for a league season at 38 games, you know, it's, you, you bringing players into the game, you bring players out, you know, you have to squad manage. There's a lot of factors that come into it. It's not just your best 11. Best 11, Liverpool could argue, yes, we could win the league, but a league isn't based on your best 11. And I don't think that then now reserves that are coming in are good enough to go for a league title. You, mm. you know, it's an unpopular opinion to have, but it's, it's the basic fact. If you look at, if you look at a squad, we don't have a squad that can go a whole season to win a league and not just in terms of their ability. I'm talking mental strength. Also I, physical I reliability. Also, I mean, you, you've just mentioned it. It's Ings, Lalana, it's Gomez. Um, you know, it's Henderson. There's, there's a few people in there. You've mentioned Chan who like, you know, physically, if you're going to have a small squad, that's not the best way to go. <laughs> yes. And you can't, you can't. You can't do that wishful thinking thing of, um, of, oh, if only this guy was, was, was fit. If only this guy, well, Chelsea, I mean, um, Man City could come at you and say, well, imagine if Mendy was fit for the whole season. How much more would we have won the league by? You know, Mm. if Aguero was fit, every team has got players that they wish would have played in, in a utopia, utopian world. Mm. You have to be realistic. And I'm, I'm, Unfortunately, it makes me a bit unpopular at times, but I'm a very realistic fan. You know, I'm, the, the, the sort of, um, fairy tale side of it, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of being sort of a, a fairy tale fan. I'm very realistic and I do envy sort of the fans that are able to, to go out and say, you know, back in January when, when I looked at the end of the window, I didn't say we, I didn't think we had enough to sort of come second above United. I was sort of looking at Spurs and Chelsea to see where we would lie in between there. And it's not because I want United to finish above that. I, in no way would I want United to finish above that. It's just I looked at the squads and I didn't think we had enough. And seeing as how well we were doing in the Champions League, progressing and then hopefully, you know, um, FA Cup or anything that would have done there, I didn't think we had enough of those rotations, uh, rotation squad players to be able to see out both a league challenge in terms of trying to finish second and going on a cup run. I thought we had to pick one or the other. But, um, yeah, so we'll see what they do in, in the summer. Um, but in terms of what we have now, I think we should have enough to see out top four. That's what, that's what we're all hoping for. And then obviously the big, the big one is the, the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Adam, I'll bring you in at this stage. You know, we look at the Stoke squad and uh, the reason why I could say the Stoke team on paper just looks like it just should never get close to relegation. It looks like there's just a bit too much quality. What's the, do you have a problem in this squad? Is there, you know, a balance issue or, you know, are you not using the squad appropriately? I think it's been a culmination of, of, of many things. I mean, first and foremost, we, we don't have anyone who can score goals. Um, mm. Shakiri's top scorer with seven. I think he's created six as well. Um, you know, we've, I think we've scored 32 goals, I think, you know, out of, which is less than a goal a game, which I think is probably the worst that we've had in the Premier League. Um, you know, defensively, I've, I mean, at the beginning of the season, we, we did have a number of injuries in, in defense, um, <clears throat> which, excuse me, which, which didn't help. Um, I think on paper, defensively, particularly Shawcross, Zuma, Indy, I think they'd, you know, outside the top six, they're a match for any, um, defensive three. Mm. Um, 
you know, Allen and Ndai in the middle of the park are, um, are, are decent Premier League midfielders. Shakiri, obviously, you know, on his day, um, I think benefits more when he's got good players around him. I don't think that's helped him um, a lot this year. I think he's had to carry a lot of uh, of the threat himself. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that we should be we should be top ten because obviously we are we're down where we are because we deserve to be where we are. But I do think that if we'd have got someone who could score goals, um, and I know a lot of Premier League teams would be saying the same thing, but someone who could who could maybe chip in with. You know, with at least the same as Shakiri or a bit more, then we probably wouldn't be we wouldn't be where we are today. But you know, defensively, we've also conceded an awful lot of goals because Hughes, I don't think, was able to set us up properly. I think we've seen a marked improvement since Lambert came in. Um, you know, it's really it stemmed uh, the tide in terms of how many goals we've we've conceded. Um, you know, West Ham have just overtaken us now for goals, goals conceded today with, with their results. So that, that hasn't helped throughout the season. And obviously when you're conceding a lot of goals and not scoring enough goals, then there's only, only going to be one outcome. So, um, you know, both ends of the pitch needed sorting. Lambert's come in and sorted defensively at the expense of, um, of, of, you know, of the attacking threat going forward. And we just haven't been able to just score enough. To win, to win games, we've actually been in front. We've lost 16 points from winning positions, mm. um, you know, because we just oh, haven't wow. been able to just finish, finish teams off, um, which is really disappointing. So, you know, 16 points at this stage of the season now would oh, probably wow. would would probably you know get us that's into top the top 10. 10. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, um, you know. So that's so it's it's disappointing. There's, you know, there's a number of factors, but you know, goal scoring is is you know we just haven't been able to kill kill teams off so I mean looking looking to next season let's assume that Stoke stay in the Premier League if, if you guys can secure <laughs> um, and, and we will so, I mean certainly all the luck for that but, but I mean um, <laughs> you know let's assume you guys stay in the Premier League looking at next season I mean you add a goal scorer or maybe you get that side of the team working you know with Lambert and you know something sort of happens there uh, do you think this the squad is sort of uh, is sort of okay for next season uh, again, or, or would you be looking for a couple of additions across the park? Well, I think, irrespective of which division we're in, I think it's um, I think it's inevitable that we're going to lose. Um, you know, let's say we're in the Premier League, I still think we're going to lose a couple of key players. I think Butland will probably go, um, and he may even end up at Anfield. Um, and I do think Shakiri will probably go because I think he's probably just about had enough now um, of of the last couple of couple of seasons. You know, he's he's good enough to play. Um, you know, at at a club higher higher than us um, at the moment. So obviously those two would would need replacing. Butland would certainly need replacing if we are to retain uh, our Premier League status because our backups are are, are not good enough for the Premier League. Lambert's already said that he wants two strikers. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a start because I think defensively, you know, we brought Bauer in, um, at right back who's looked really good. Uh, Zuma will go back to Chelsea. Um, Shaw Cross and Indy, you know, two central defenders there, you know, I, I think are still good enough to do a job. Um, you know, we may retain Allen and Indy if we stay in the Premier League. Um, so we just we we you know we'll we'll need four or five I think if we stay in the Premier League, 
if we go down, which is obviously, you know, a, a higher probability, it will be a mass, you know, a mass exodus of players, I would have thought. Um, and it will be a really big rebuilding job, um, in the championship because there's a lot of fringe players as well who, who probably are not good enough anymore. You know, Charlie Adam, Darren Fletcher, um, Jeff Cameron, you know, potentially these are players now that probably need to be moved on. Um, we've also got three players out on loan, Bojan, Muniesa, uh, Imbula, some expensive um, players on loan there. So, you know, they they need to be sorted out as well. So I think whatever, whichever division we're in, it's going to be a busy summer. Mm. Um, but goal-scoring-wise is certainly the key area that, that will need to be um, rectified, and hopefully we can get that person in sooner rather than later. I just hope Berahino can sort himself out and have a good preseason. He could be the one, the one striker we need who we've already spent money on and we get another one in around him to, um, to support him. So, you know, who knows? And, and that's the thing, right? I mean, you, you, that's the thing on paper, you know, how, how the squad looks is so different from how it's playing as well. But do you think that in a, in a way, some of that could be a blessing in disguise, Adam? You know, for example, I think somebody like John Walters was really underrated in terms of the quality he had. You know, I, I don't know, I can't think of how many more strikers give you such a lot of defensive capability from a forward position and then have quality in attack, you know, still, you know, to be able to occupy opposition defenses the way we do, the, the way he does. He sort of almost drew, in certain cases, like two defenders to him because he, you know, he occupies defenders' minds and that kind of thing. Now, I mean, no doubting Shakiri's quality and he's, he has been brilliant for you guys, but for example, let's say Shakiri gets sold. That's funds, you know, that can come in. I know that doesn't happen everywhere across the field because somebody like Joe Allen now, who was, I thought was absolutely brilliant yesterday and, um, it, it, it's, he's a very important cog, I feel, for the, for the Stoke midfield. I don't think you'd want to lose him, but, you know, then you, you, at least there'd be funds there for Lambert to be able to take and hopefully, you know, just, just, uh, do something a little bit with, with the squad. Do you think the board will, will look at that and sort of allow him to use that money again and recycle that into the squad? I, I hope so. I mean, one of the things that the board have been criticised for over the last two years in particular is that our net spend is one of the lowest in, in the Premier League. Uh, Peter Coates is a fab, fabulous chairman. Um, you know, he's, he's from Stoke, he's from Stoke-on-Trent. He knows Stoke-on-Trent. His, you know, his, his company is from Stoke-on-Trent. Mm. He could have quite easily moved that abroad, you know, for, for cheaper, but, you know, he's built a new HQ in, in Stoke. So the whole family know the area. They're from the area. They know the people. They know what it takes. They'll they'll be hurting from this. So I'm hoping that they're going to do everything in their in their power to to make sure that we get a quick return into into the Premier League. So you know I'm not I'm not so sure they'll give every last penny that we generate back into uh, into the transfer kitty because I'm pretty sure that they'll obviously they'll be losing some money going out of the Premier League. Um, so they'll need to kind of Recom, you know, recompensate that. Um, but, you know, you, you're talking Butland, you know, I mean, what, what value could, could Butland get? You know, there's talk that it would be anything from 30 to 40 million potentially for Butland. There is a 25% salon fee to Birmingham. So, you know, 40 million becomes 30 million. Um, you know, but 
I mean, even in the championship, we've seen some crazy prices in, in the championship. You know, strikers going for 15, 20 million. Mm. So, you know, whatever division we're in, they're going to have to spend, they're going to have to spend some money. Um, but, you know, we shouldn't be looking for anything, for anything shy of, of, of 20 million for, for quite a few of our players, Shakiri, Allen, um, you know, and, and, and Butland at 40 potentially. So, you know, that's 60 to 80 million there. Uh, you know, just, just selling three players. Um, so, you know, parachute payments as well. Mm. Um, you know, funds, I would hope funds are going to be there. They're, they're, there's going to need to be funds because with, with the, the amount of turnover of players we're going to have, it's impossible to, to get the players in, um, you know, on, uh, on, on peanuts. You know, we've, we've, we've paid a price for not investing over the last two or three years. So, um, so yeah, we, we really do need and we really need to, to invest and, and I hope they get the balance right. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see the hard working element come back in. And just, you know, with a sprinkling of, of a couple of their, of, of flair players, because, you know, the championship's brutal, but there is space for, for flair players in, in your team as, as Wolves have, have shown Fulham have, have, have got a few as well. All those top six in the championship have all got at least one, maybe two creative flair players, uh, you know, in, in their starting 11. So there is, there is room to have them, but I, I, I do think we will. We will try and, and kind of revert back to some kind of uh, of the Stoke identity. Mm-hmm. No, interesting. And, and let me let me talk to you a little bit about that. In, we'll just get back to the game again, Adam. But you mentioned him earlier. But your keeper, I I read some just astonishing comments <laughs> about um, some of them from Stoke fans, in fact, about how. But a lot of them from Liverpool fans, which uh, both just mystified me. Which was just you know criticizing his. Performance yesterday, I, I just didn't really understand it because he didn't really have that much to do. I, you know, I know there were some easy balls that he sort of dropped. I just didn't feel he was in any problem whatsoever. We had this earlier, in fact. We had this in um, the Champions League game earlier where Karius had sort of almost let a ball slip through his hands from a very powerful shot from Kolarov. But he, you know, he saved it. It hit the bar and it, it went back into play. But he saved the ball and he took a lot of criticism from it. I, ju- I just... Didn't understand what the criticism was for. He saved the shot. You know, I don't know what more mm. the keeper could have done in the game. You came away with a clean sheet. You know, your your defense yeah. as a whole did it. Your keeper did well. I, I just and I just wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, five clean sheets I think this season. So that 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 says it all. He's been he's been the busiest goalkeeper uh, in the Premier League. I mean, Butler's been fantastic for Stoke over the last three three or four years that that he's been here. He's you know, he is England's future number one. I'm, I'm pretty convinced about that. Um, you know, yesterday there was that, there was the fumble, wasn't there, out, outside where he pushed the ball outside of the area. You know, it, it was quite comfortable. Mm. Um, but, you know, he didn't have a great deal to do. So you could say, you know, was concentration, did, did that play a part? I don't know. And I think near towards the end of the game, there was a kick that went straight. He just kicked it out, um, on the halfway line. But other than that, you know, there wasn't really much else that, that, that he could have done. He's, he, he has taken some criticism over, over the last three or four weeks due to, um, we've conceded a, num- a number of goals where you could argue he could have come out and been more commanding. Now, he is quite a commanding goalkeeper. You know, he's, he's a big lad. He's, he's a presence. And, and I just wonder maybe this season whether his confidence has been knocked slightly and he's not quite sure. 
what to come for and what not to come for. You can't doubt, you can't deny his shot stopping ability. I, I, you know, I, I think shot stopping is, is up there with, with, with the best. Um, but this season in particular, I think, and, you know, it's been a bad season for everybody defensively, defenders, goalkeepers. Um, you just wonder whether that has, has contributed to some of his, uh, you know, his minor errors. I mean, they're not glaring errors, but there are, you know, there are somewhere you think, well, could he have come for that? Could he have done better on that cross? Um, you know, th- there aren't any shots that he's had where they've gone under him or through him. Um, it's, I think it's just his, his commanding of the area. I think maybe over the last six months has probably not been as up there as, as, as what it could have been. But, you know, you put him in a team where, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to concede very many or defensively they're going to be, they're going to be better. Mm. Um, you know, we don't retain the ball and we certainly don't score enough. So he's going to be busy. Um, and, you know, given the amount of shots he's, he's faced and the amount of crosses coming into his box, you know, law of averages states that you're not going to be perfect on every single one. Um, but, you know, he's still only a, a young lad and, and, and he'll be fine. And, you know, people, Peter Schilt and Gordon Banks, two of the greatest goalkeepers this country's ever seen, both speak very, very highly of him around, around these parts. So, you know, there's, there's no doubting that he will be England's, England's number one, um, in years to come. And he will go to a top six team in the summer. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. It's just which one he ends up at. Um, I just wanted to ask, look, um, if you, if you want to hear my full opinions on Butland, I'm sure you'd find some comments that I've made on Twitter and so forth. But I just wanted to say, like, in terms of Butland, I have no problem with his shot stopping. I, I think he's a great shot stopper, but we've had that kind of keeper in Mignolet in that Mignolet is a shot stopper that, you know, he's a, he's very good at saving penalties. He's very good at one-off shots at times, you know, but if you look at, for example, the transformation that City have made this season because of, um, what Edison has brought to them from, from a football, you know, ball on the ground playing perspective, he, uh, if you look at City's team, if you look at Liverpool's team, our keeper has to be one of the players that's involved in the attacking movement. He's the one that starts everything off. He's the one that's meant to be, you know, distributing the ball. He's, he gets a lot of back passes. Our keeper gets a lot of back passes. Now I'm moving on to Carrius. You know, Carrius is very comfortable on his feet. So he gets a lot of the ball. I have no problem with Butlin with, in terms of shot stopping and all of that. But, from what I've seen when I've watched him, I'm not very comfortable with his footwork in terms of ball at his feet, his distribution, um, balls coming back to him, where he's kicking them, you know, it, it, it feels like he's not very good in that sense. So I just wanted Adam to touch upon his sort of his, his distribution. Um, because yeah, f- when, yeah, if it's, he's coming to Liverpool, sorry, sorry, if, if, yeah, if he's coming to Liverpool, um, he's going to be required to be part of the attack. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair point. I, th- I think this season his distribution has probably been the poorest that it's been, um, since, since he's been at Stoke. I always, I never had a problem with his, with his kicking. I thought, I mean, he's naturally two footed, um, uh, which is something that Pickford isn't. Um, you know, you know, Pickford's distribution is obviously one of his, his key strengths. But he's very much one-footed, in my opinion. Butland is is comfortable on 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 both feet. You know, he can kick left and right. Um, and I think if if he just works on that a little bit more, um, I, I don't think he will have 
that much of 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 an issue. I don't think it will be a, a bigger um, you know kind of transformation of of, of his game uh, that that many might many might think. I think he's got it in there um, for one reason or another this season. It's it's not been up to scratch, but um, but yeah. I, I, I can see from from an outsider looking in. You know, there are times where he maybe hasn't looked comfortable. I think there was a, a few moments for England where he, he he got a bit muddled up with his with his feet as well. And um, but you know, again, he's he's a young lad, and and I think I think that's one side of his game that that he can improve on. You know, I, I think the other parts of his game he's he's naturally already got. Um, so you know, I don't think there's there's a lot of work that would need to be done there to bring him to bring him up to uh, up to the required standard that's now needed in the Premier League. You know, who'd have thought? You know, 15 years ago we'd be talking about goalkeepers. You know, it doesn't matter whether they can catch a ball or or stop it; they just need to be able to play out from the back and kick it. But you know, that's that's the sign of the times. I just want a goalkeeper who'll <laughs> stop the ball if it's going in the net. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know. I guess we're in a, we're in different positions at the moment. No, oh, cheers. Yeah, yeah, that clarifies quite a bit for me. Um, yeah, look, if because uh, maybe just to Adam from from a Liverpool perspective, we've had quite a um, sort of prominent in quote, in, insider, so to speak, maybe I could say, um, who's 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 mentioned that it's more than likely that Butland will be coming to to Liverpool. So um, I was obviously just just keen to get. Your perspective on on that aspect because it's quite a, a a big factor for yeah. for us going forward. So th- thank thank yeah. you for clarifying that for us. Um, well, the price the price has just gone up to sixty million. Then all right. <laughs> 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 Look, I wouldn't blame you. Southampton Southampton definitely have <laughs> have done that. You know, um, <laughs> I think in terms of button. Look, uh, as you've said, it's something that he can improve if. If our goalkeeping coach um, and if Klopp and the rest of the coaching staff feel that they can coach that into him, then you know who am I to 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 deny them that opportunity? From a personal level, I just haven't seen enough of 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 that side of his game. I think there are other keepers around the world that can do that a lot better. But mm. as, as I said, if they think they can coach that into him, he is a phenomenal shot stopper. And we have to take into account he's English as well. You want English players in Premier League teams, then you want them to be doing well. So, you know, yeah. fair play to them. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. If he if, if he does well, you have to give them all the credit. Um, if he doesn't do well, they have to hold their hands up. Um, yeah. then I can... And I think it's fair to say as well, he doesn't have to play that, that type of football at Stoke. So, you know, maybe we don't, we don't see, you know, there's probably... He he's probably got it in him. We just don't see it because that's not the type, the style of football that that we play. So um, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's, who knows? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a very good point actually, and that's one I hadn't thought about. Yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah, today I'll bring you into this, and again, Liverpool from the perspective of the game itself. You know, we we're speaking about concentration. I thought this was more an issue of a little bit of composure, and it's 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 sort of it might be a bit controversial to raise this, but I thought Mohamed Salah lacked a bit of composure today. Other than, I mean, I think you can certainly interpret it as him being uh, very well ushered by um, by Peters, the the fullback, and you know, it, it, he he plays on that, doesn't he? His positioning and how he comes in. 
he just muddles fullbacks, uh, confuses them in terms of what space to take up, what position to take up. But Peter's just stuck to his task very well. But other than that, I thought, do, do you think maybe his want to break this record, his, it's, it's getting a bit selfish. Maybe his decision making is being a bit affected. I think, yeah, I think it has crept into his game a little bit in terms of he definitely now with a lot more intent is trying to break that record and, and it looks like not only just break it, sort of just smash it and just, you know, put, put it at such a level that no one's going to be able to do anything about it for a few years. Um, and then also you have to take into account that the, the last two games, cause I think that's when the last two Premier League games where it's come to the forefront a bit more, it hasn't been him playing with the entire front three. So he's been asked to play a bit more of a creative role. So maybe, maybe that, um, plays into it a bit more. Maybe it looks like it because he's being asked to do something different. Whereas I'd be interested to see, for example, I'd assume against Chelsea next week that we would play our front three. So there I'll be interested to see, is he still being, um, sort of that, that, I guess, a selfish player, so to speak. But I was surprised when he did lay it off to Alexander Arnold, um, for, for that, that shot where you couldn't quite dig it out of his legs. Um, it was in a similar position to the Roma one where he could have just sort of looked to wrap it into that far corner, but Alexander Arnold was screaming for it. And to his, to, to Salah's credit, if he had shot, um, could you really blame him? You could blame him because Trent was in a better position, but you could also argue that, look, I've got the capability to do this. So credit to him for passing there. Um, I think moving forward, yeah, I think, I think that will change once the front three is back together again. Mm. I'm, I'm hoping he does break the record and he looks like he wants to do it. Um, if you look at the Roma game, so to speak, maybe the Champions League games would be a better idea of how he's not really being selfish so to speak but he's being assertive in in when he's shooting he's shooting with with purpose whereas in in the premier league games he is being asked to do something something slightly different yeah all right guys look we are running out of time a little bit so i'm going to ask you to find this final question and this is the thing liverpool twitter is talking a lot about so to do i'm going to ask you to start and then adam you can respond and give your input as well but we do seem to have a very big debate going on about the refs. And for the second game in a row, it seems that, you know, Liverpool fans are, are looking at the ref, criticizing quite a lot for not giving particular decisions. Tadiwa, do you share that for this game, particularly around the penalty appeal? And, uh, I mean, we, we, we have talked about this, but, you know, in, in the previous game, do you think that applies to this game as well and the ref not, not doing his job properly in essence? Yeah, I think it's still, it's still that factor of refs are more willing to not give a penalty than to give it because I, I think they, they, they face far less criticism, especially from, from pundits, not necessarily on Twitter, but especially from pundits, they, they face far less criticism for ones that they don't give, um, that should have been penalties opposed to ones they do give and they weren't penalties. So I think there's a bit of hesitation from, from them, uh, with regards to, to giving a penalty. With regards to Liverpool, it, any fan will feel their team is the most vilified team in, in the league. Any fan will feel that their team is, you know, is the most robbed when it comes to these decisions. So I'm, I'm keen to see if, if, if Adam also has the, these thoughts with regards to, to referees. But I feel like Liverpool have been very, very unfortunate when it comes to the decisions that have gone against us this season. And I know Paul Tompkins has, has done quite a bit of work with regards to that. If, if you want to go look up sort of, 
he looked at the stats and um, how Liverpool, you know, are, are well short of what necessarily would be the average for penalties being, you know, given to home teams. And he's also looked at um, a, a whole lot of other things surrounding referees. So if, if you want the stats on that, I think he's more of a, an expert opinion on that than I would be. But um, from an eye test level, I do feel that there, there is, there is a, a willingness for referees not to, because obviously the cop is quite a vocal, vocal stand. So I think it, it, it's intimidating for referees, so to speak, to, to give penalties because the cop, the, because the cop is, you know, up in arms. It's one of those, you know, they'll shout for anything. So let's not just give them anything. Um, and in terms of Stoke players, look, you know, if we look at the, let's say the Peters uh, incident, I think it was where people, you know, where he was grabbing at Salah's arm. Look, I think Peters had a fantastic game, first and foremost. I thought he played that game perfectly in the sense that he he was towing the line of what should be allowed and shouldn't be allowed. But it's not on him to decide what that line is. That's on the ref. So if the ref is not calling him up on it, then I, I have no problem with him carrying on doing that because he's doing his job. You know, it, it, it's not his fault the ref is not blowing up on it. So well done to him for for playing the ref, so to speak, because the ref wasn't doing anything, so he just carried on playing. He, I thought he played a fantastic game. He's the one player that I think has really kept Salah quiet this season. Um, you know, there have been shots of Young, but uh, that game's been spoken to death, and I think there's um, arguments for both sides of that. But in terms of purely keeping Salah sort of quiet, I think Peters did a fantastic job. In terms of the referee and the referee's decision, with regards especially to the handball, I'm thinking he, he needs assistance from the linesman there. Well, what, what is the linesman there for um, in situations like that where you can see the ball? And it's just the inconsistency. We saw a, a handball against Molna earlier in the week against Roma. That was less of a handball than the handball that should have been a penalty this weekend. Obviously, that's my best opinion as a Liverpool fan that it should have been a penalty. But at the end of the day, especially a team of Liverpool's caliber, you shouldn't be relying on one penalty decision to change a game. I think you should be, you should be doing a lot more than, you know, relying on, on, on a penalty decision to sway a game for you. So those, those decisions, they, 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 they go your way. Some, sometimes they go, they go against you. You know, people say that they, they, they equal themselves out throughout a season for example, we had that um, Sané incident in the Champions League. It, you know that should have been a goal. If that goes in, we don't know what the game ends up being. So, obviously, we feel more hard hard done by being Liverpool fans. But I think personally, you shouldn't. We should have more than enough to be relying on the referees because we've seen this season you can't rely on referees. Yeah, I think so. I mean, th- this is a really good point to bring you in, uh, Adam, because. Yeah, I mean, we, we could talk about it like this. Um, maybe your reaction to the penalty decision and then the refereeing yesterday as a whole. And then maybe a, a, a more abstract reaction. I mean, no English referees going to the World Cup uh, in the off-season this time. How do you react to that? Do you think that you know, the standard of refereeing in the Premier League is quite a bit behind, for example, what we see in the Champions League or what we see in, in the other top leagues in Europe? Hmm. I mean, if we let's let's take the penalty incident first and foremost. I think I'm surprised it wasn't given. Um, it's at Anfield. It's in the last five minutes of the game. It's at the cop end. Um, you know, 
or of averages would state that the ref would would give that nine times out of ten. I think he does need support from his assistant. Um, I don't think the ref can make that decision on his own. Um, Peters is is side on to the ref and it's hit his other arm. Um, you know, so it's blind side of the referee. So he does need help from his assistant if they deem that it is handball. Um, there's no doubt it hit his arm. Is Peters far enough away from the ball? It's debatable. I think it's borderline. Did he deliberately handle it? No. Um, there's not many players who would deliberately handle the ball in that scenario. Um, and was his hand in a natural position? Yes. So I can see why people think it was handball and why they would want it to be given. Um, if it was against me, I'd probably be saying it was handball. But I think if you break it down, I think you can argue for and against um, whether it was handball or not, given the laws as they stand at the moment. Um, you know, what is deliberate handball and how many times does a player deliberately hand the ball, handle the ball? You know, it's very, very rare uh, yeah. that you would deliberately... I, I must say, I, I don't like the handball rules. I don't like no, the, the way that... Well, it's it, just it, too it's, open. It's, it's too, too open, open to interpretation. Yeah. You know, if it hits your hand, should it just be a penalty? Just like offside, if you're off, if you're in an offside position, same thing. Are you yeah. off? You know, you're offside. Um, so you know, I, I think there's two, and that's where we haven't helped referees. Um, the referee overall yesterday, I thought was poor. I thought it was poor for both sides. Um, I think early on, I think he was very keen to clamp down on uh, on Stoke. I thought he let some things from Liverpool go, uh, but uh, on the other hand, I think Juve was lucky to stay on the pitch. I think he put in two. Pretty reckless fouls. Uh, one t- was off the pitch. He didn't even need to make the tackle. Um, so I think, you know, he, he should have been booked for the first tackle on, um, on Van Dyke, I think, or someone over on the far, far side. So, you know, he was lucky to stay, to stay on the pitch. Um, so yeah, I thought the ref yesterday was poor overall. And I think that leads us into the standard of refereeing as a whole in this country. <clears throat> is getting poorer and poorer each each season. Um, I do think it's poor. Um, I think as a Stoke fan, we always feel as though we've been hard done to. I think you know, it all stems back from the days where we were known to be, you know, rightly or wrongly, a, a, a physical team. I don't think we've ever we've ever shaken off that tag. I think it appears from our perspective that refs always seem quite quick um, to dish out cards. Um, you know, the Charlie Adam red at, against Everton, you could argue, was uh, was a yellow at, at worst. Um, Kane's goal, no goal at Stoke a few weeks ago, where he didn't he didn't touch it, but was actually offside, and it and it went in off his arm, and then they give him the goal after, which was bizarre. That was um, bizarre. <laughs> it continues you know, to be bizarre. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, he didn't. I don't. I don't think he did touch it. Um, but knowing that he was in an offside position and it went in off his shoulder to the FA then turn around and give him the goal, knowing that they'd the ref and the linesman would have made an obvious error there is, you know, it's it's staggering really. Um a penalty at Arsenal that we were that went against us when we were it was nil nil seventy five minutes. Again, very similar to the display yesterday. That game would have finished nil nil, I'm 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 sure of it. You know, it was you know, it's a, a fantastic tackle by Indy, clearly won the ball. Um, penalty was given against us. So, you know, I'm sure every team, you know, Sean Dyche yesterday at home to Burnley was saying that 
they haven't had a penalty all season or for a whole calendar year. Um, you know, he, he feels aggrieved by referees every week. You know, I don't buy the notion that they even themselves out because I don't think they do. But I do think every club will probably have um, some case, um, you know, to answer where where they feel that they've been they've been hard done to. You know, I guarantee on Saturday we play Crystal Palace. Wilfred Zahar is playing. I guarantee he'll be given probably at least one free kick, a penalty for for going over easily, or you know, or he'll get booked for diving, or you know, something. You know, so these things were already planted in in, in people's minds. Um, mm. So yeah, you know, it's no surprise that we haven't got a um, a ref at the World Cup. It's a sad indictment, really. You know, our best ref decided that he didn't want a referee anymore uh, because of of the stick he was getting, um, which you know, which which is a shame, really. Um, so yeah, it's just disappointing the whole standard of of referees. But I also don't know whether VAR is the answer. You know, at the moment, I think that's um, that's too ambiguous as well. We've already seen that there's some decisions that have been given that. People don't, you know, don't necessarily agree with, you know, I think you've got to be, you've got to just stick with the clear and obvious, um, uh, decisions for, for VAR and not things that can still be open to, to interpretation. You know, mm. it's either offside or isn't, you know, those, those kind of things. Mm. I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised the Premier League hasn't gone the Champions League route, just gotten more refs, you know, like how they have the, the goal line ref and stuff like that, just to, you know, Get more eyes on a situation, that kind of thing. I, that, yeah, that do, do you think? Do you bit. think they help? I mean, you know, I've I've never actually. I mean, I've seen them on on TV. You've obviously probably seen them at, at live at games, being in the Champions League. I've never actually understood whether those people on the goal line actually add anything to to the game or make any meaningful contribution. I, you know, I I I don't know whether that honestly is is the answer. You know, I. I I don't know whether our refs are, are not fit enough anymore as well. I've always wondered about. Yeah, um, I, I think I think on that, just from your, you know, I totally agree with what you said earlier. In that, refs seem to be coming in with a level of bias, and also to the US point of, they seem to be wanting to not make a a, a a particular decision in a certain place, you know, because they might be, even if it's the right decision, they they might not want to be the center of um, of talk the next day and that kind of stuff, and. I think particularly in England, it might take the take the pressure off the one man in the centre, so to speak, mm. or the one woman in the centre. You know, just to, to I know you have assistant referees, but here you have you know somebody else who has got a little more authority than an assistant referee and somebody in between the two. So I think it works really well because in England, I think we do put a lot of pressure. We put there's a lot of eyes on the referee, particularly. In this, in England, you know, to do that, I thought that way, that's that's where it might help. I'm not mm. sure. I'm not sure how much it's helped in Europe, to be honest. Um, I, I like that there's a there's a sort of a, a mini conference at times in Europe <laughs> for, for big decisions. You know, they all sort of get together. They all take a bit of time, and even if they just allow for that to discuss what's the correct decision in in that perspective, and uh, and you know, put that together with appropriate evaluation and appraisals. For games and stuff like that, I think I think that might help. But you might have, it might be true what you're saying, Adam. I'm not really sure what the actual solution is in this regard. Yeah, I mean, I always wondered whether it's it's kind of half there, but whether the notion of, of kind of what happens in in hockey where you have two two halves, you know, you have you have a ref in, in each half, and I wondered mm-hmm. whether you know you're kind of halfway there, I guess, with with the goal line. Um, you know, officials, and I wondered whether that, whether that would be an experiment that would be worth, 
particularly how, how fast the game is now. I mean, you look at the, the, the pace of Salah on the break, you know, being ref by John Moss and you, and you just feel as though, you know, there's no way that, um, that these refs can keep up with, with some of those big games, um, and, and those big, big decisions when, when it's at pace. And I, I just wonder whether it well, that would take a little bit of pressure off them knowing that they've only got to run one half of the pitch and then the other ref takes over in the other half of the pitch. I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether that would work or not. Yeah. Yeah, I think good points, good points. It, it, it is difficult. I, I just think something has to be done. Every team can't be walking away from every game saying that the mm. wasn't great. And that's happened in, in, in a few games of the season. So something definitely needs to be done about it. It, it, it. And it's not easy to just find a solution. So now, guys, we have gone a little bit over time, but I think it was certainly worth that discussion. A very big thanks to both of you. It's actually been really brilliant. I'll give you... Uh, a spot to do some plugs. You can tell me, you know, what's going on or just where people can find you on social media and, and, and anywhere else. So yeah, Adam, um, I'll give you first go. Uh, any plugs for you? Um, not really. No. I mean, I'm at Stokey Adam on, on Twitter. I always give a plug to my, uh, to a, um, a, a friend of ours who's at, at, uh, Duck Magazine. So, uh, at, at Duck, I think, um, you know, a, a good local Stoke, Stoke City fanzine. You might have seen him about yesterday at, at, at the game, selling, uh, magazines outside the ground. So, um, you know, check him out, check him out on Twitter, Duck, uh, Duck magazine. Yeah, I'd certainly, and, uh, go follow that. And I'd certainly recommend giving, uh, giving Adam a follow, guys. I've been following him for, very quite a long time now actually <laughs> he calls it like he sees it it's as fair as uh, as he puts it forward so uh, definitely a really good follow and I'd certainly, <laughs> I'd certainly recommend that yeah uh, Tadiwa for you um, yeah I'd, uh, as has become custom now I'd sort of like to do my Anfield Index pod of the week um, that's going to go to it was the Anfield Index pod um, Trev Downey's pod it, it, uh, the title of it is A Life of uh, deluxe luxury and they sort of go on he he had it was Trev Downey he had Cambridge and there was Carl Kopak in it and they were sort of discussing you know what happened um the scenes that happened before the Roma game uh, with regards to the brutality that happened um the injury to the Liverpool fan um so they they sort of break that down. They they look at the the violence in football in general, the sort of the prejudice that goes with the sort of violence, the stereotypes, you know, and and how the media sort of handled it throughout the years. And I thought that was quite an interesting um, discussion, and it, it brought a lot of light to some to some things that I hadn't even thought about. And then they also looked um, heading into obviously the Champions League game. They looked at the second leg and sort of the 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 mentality that Klopp has brought into into the team, the culture he's brought in, and um, and then they also had an, an analysis of that culture, sort of juxtaposed with the 1980s culture um, that that Liverpool had. So I thought that was quite a, an interesting look. Um, it's episode one two one nine two, a life of deluxe luxury. Uh, the Anfield Index pod. That's my that's my shout out for the week. How is the the, the Liverpool fan who was attacked? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not on, on the up to date at the moment, but I know he is still in, in hospital when I last checked and he was sort of still fighting for his life. Um, so obviously prayers and thoughts still need to be Absolutely. going out to him and his family. Yeah. Um, they've been sort of a, a GoFundMe, so to speak, um, that, that has raised when I last checked, it was about 52,000 pounds. 
which wow. is definitely a, an amazing, an amazing job from, and it's not just Liverpool fans, it's fans all, all around the world. So thank you to everyone that has donated. If you, if you're still looking to donate, please, um, just, just search on Twitter for, 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 for that GoFundMe. Um, there, there are people that could, that could direct you to that. Um, it's definitely a worthy cause. We're praying for him. We hope that also, also heading into this game on, on Wednesday that there's no violence at all. Um, obviously there have been murmurs of, of retaliations and stuff like that. And we don't want any of that in football. You know, every fan that goes to a game should be there just to, you know, do exactly that. Go to the game, enjoy it, get home safely. Um, to all the Reds that are going over to Italy, um, make sure you travel in, you know, large numbers. Uh, try not to be, um, isolated. Um, and then also just try, be safe, be as safe as you can. Um, I'm hoping that the police, um, do their job. I know Liverpool as a club have spoken to Roma and they've had, they had discussions on Friday looking at sort of the logistics and how to go about, um, the game on Wednesday. So work has been done. Keep your eye out on Twitter. Um, if, if you need more information, just message me on Twitter and then I'll, I'll send you to the, to the necessary people that have a lot more information than I do. But yeah, just, just an un- unfortunate situation that happened. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so we look forward to that midweek, uh, Reds. We will be with you for the next game. Uh, Chelsea, obviously, is a big game for us. If we can avoid uh, defeat, that would uh, that would put us uh, certainly in pole position for top four. I think that seals it up for us. So it's going to be a big game. Do join us for that. Until we see you again, huge thanks to my panel. Huge thanks to you guys for listening. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Podcast Network.